Welcome to the Sensitive Shift Podcast. We're your hosts, Agathe and Anna, and we are highly sensitive people. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the Sensitive Shift Podcast, where we will both celebrate the beauty and goodness of being a highly sensitive person while also keeping it real and talking about some of the challenges and ways we have found to adapt. Our mission with hosting this podcast is to create a space where you, the listener, feel seen, welcome, and where you can learn more about sensitivity and highly sensitive people. Anna, hi. Hi. This is exciting. It's been a long time coming and we're finally here. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling so good, so happy to be here with you, so happy to talk about one of our favorite topics. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And today, our pod is going to be divided into two parts. So in the first half of today's episode, we'll share a little bit more about ourselves, your hosts, and tell you the story and our why behind the creation of this podcast. And then in the second half, we'll share some key terms and concepts about sensitivity that will lay the foundation for the rest of the season. We'll be discussing sensitivity and other related topics in greater depth in upcoming episodes. And without further ado, we'll hear a little bit about you, Agathe. And I'm wondering if you can start by telling us about one of the ways your high sensitivity shows up for you today. Hmm. Well, you know, it shows up obviously in so many different ways, but I, I can tell you about a very specific way because it's been quite present in the past, in the past few months, in the past year for me. And it is in the activity of driving. If you know me and you know my driving history, you know a big story about me, but I'm not going to get into it today. Um, when I'm driving, it's this stimulation from so many different input of information. It's visual information, it's auditory information, and then I have to simultaneously manipulate a machine that I am hyper aware can cause harm and it's going fast, right? It's it, like I'm used to walking. When I'm walking, I have time to look around me, to know if I want to stop, I, like I stop. If I'm running, it's going to take me a little bit more time to stop. But if I'm walking, I'm, I can stop right away. When you're behind a car, it takes a little bit longer to stop a car. And I'm very aware of that. So I would say that very fast over arousal and hyperactivation of my senses is one of those ways that I feel my high sensitivity shows up. So it's very much about my nervous system. Um, feeling very deeply is one of the first ways that I realized that I was highly sensitive. And in the past, especially my emotional reactivity was the strongest way that my sensitivity displayed itself. 
I can't wait to hear more about those stories. Mm-hmm. Little and um, tell us a little bit about the profession that you chose, so the career path and how that relates to sensitivity, if it does. Well, let me tell you, there's just, there's so much that we can say about highly sensitive people and career choices, and we will, um, but very shortly, just for the sake of introducing ourselves, um, I can tell you that I wanted to do so many things with my life. And ultimately, I I would say I've had two distinct career paths that I've actually been able to merge together. And the first was a career in the arts. I really liked everything, theater, cinema, music, dance, and then a little later in life, painting. Um, And I was going the cinema route when I decided that I actually didn't have the personality to make it in quotes uh, in that world in the show business world because uh, and what I mean by that is that I was actually too sensitive not competitive enough I often felt taken advantage of and I we also realized that talent was often only a small small percentage of your success in that in that world and so I decided to leave that career path and I chose to go more in mental health because I also felt that I needed to do a profession where I was helping others. And because of my sensitivity, I also very much develop an interest for understanding why I was so, why I felt so deeply all the time. So mental health became, and psychology became a strong interest. So I studied psychology. I also studied theater and, Mm -hmm. um, And so I chose a career in mental health counseling, but I found a way to do it with integrating the creative arts. And so I went into creative arts therapies, which was a beautiful marriage of uh, what I loved so much about the arts, which was more of the healing component, uh, appreciating the beauty of, of the arts and helping others, helping myself by going into psychology and mental health. And so that's how I came to become a creative arts therapist. Mm, Wonderful. (laughs) And, you know, because I, because I know you, I know that you have a specialty that I think is really interesting uh, specialty and relevant to sensitivity. Would you tell us a little bit about it? Yes, I think you're talking about specializing in trauma-informed work or lens or approach. Um, So when I became a a therapist, I I really had a huge interest in trauma. I chose to specialize in, in trauma. And at the time when I was a clinician, it was mostly in trauma treatment. But then I also developed an interest in in prevention in the form of trauma-informed care practice or, or lens. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't really like to say that I'm an expert or a specialist because I think that's a big a big word a word. I don't think we can ever fully be experts in something, especially when it comes to human sciences. So I like mm. to say that I'm in constant learning and improving and evolving 
and that people are experts of themselves. And I just come in and, and try to provide some guidance and learn from other people as well. But uh, to answer your question, trauma-informed work is relevant to the topic of sensitivity in the sense that um, the assumption that we make is reverse. So that means, let me explain, <laughs> that means that we're operating in a world where we interact with people uh, in casual and formal settings with the implicit assumption that people haven't experienced adversity or trauma of any kind. So it could be personal, it could be systemic, um, whereas the trauma-informed lens recognizes the prevalence and impact of trauma on individuals and groups and can help adapt the way that we interact with people and systems. So an example of that could be something that a lot of people might relate to, and it would be, for example, going to the doctor and being asked to remove your clothes for a physical exam and then being touched and probed with the assumption that because you're in a doctor's office, this is normal, this is okay and expected. A trauma-informed approach or a doctor who is trauma-informed could put in place various strategies and operate with the assumption without necessarily knowing that's not necessary, uh, that the patient may have gone through some trauma and that this normal procedure could in fact be very upsetting. So that's just a very, very large overview of um, trauma-informed care or trauma-informed lens. And of course, there's so much more to say, but... Um, <laughs> Thank you so much for for sharing that and I think you know we'll have a we'll have many opportunities to revisit your specialty because it's going to come through in all of the stories and all of our episodes yeah. we're going to have themes of of these and you'll you'll bring your expertise. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, and we'll explain more later as we um describe how we got to create this podcast how we integrate our professional um, life as well to this vision. So it will be relevant. And on that note, Anna, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about what you do, because I know that you also work in yes. a helping profession. Yes, we have that in common. Um, mm -hmm. And is how we met, actually. Uh, I am by profession today uh, a dietitian, a registered dietitian, which I think for me is the, you know, best career in the world and such a good match for me as a person. And I actually started out wanting to be a therapist. I have a degree in psychology first and then a degree in, in dietetics, which I sort of switched to after realizing that I think that was a better match for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm so excited about food. I'm so excited about the idea of nourishing our bodies um, and about supporting people in, in doing that. Um, I'm also an intuitive eating counselor. So I'm certified as an intuitive eating counselor and intuitive eating, I think has been, you know, quite popular in, in recent years. Um, 
but I'll, I'll just say that intuitive eating is really this, like it sounds, this dynamic integration between our mind and our body. And uh, the principles of intuitive eating really work by either cultivating or uh, removing obstacles to body awareness um, and really are centered around listening and responding to the messages of our body. And that requires attunement. So we can see the connection between, and I see it now kind of looking back between me being really aware of my body and at first believing that um, this is something I can really help others to do um, and, and really believing in how beautiful it could be when we're in harmony with our body and our sensations. Um, and I realize we all have different abilities there um, and different sort of goals there as well. But that's been a big part of my professional journey to understand that and bring that to the world of nutrition. Mm, I love that. And there's so much more to say here, even in the interaction between your work and and my work. And that's going to be so fun to, to discuss. Um, and you're, you're talking about awareness, Anna, and I'm wondering yeah. if you could tell us a little bit more about your first discovery, your first awareness of your high sensitivity. Mm. Well, I think I would say that my first introduction to the term and first kind of knowing or accepting <laughs> that I was somebody who was highly sensitive came from an interaction that I had uh, in basically a therapy session. So with my therapist and I had been for probably months and definitely weeks before that, you know, famous appointment, mm -hmm. uh, been talking about uh, different things that either bothered me or brought me joy, describing what I wanted, what I thought I needed, like all these different, you know, the, the typical things we talk about. And my therapist really saying, you know, I think you might be a highly sensitive person. No, and you. yeah, so <laughs> then we had this term and I was like, is this a diagnosis? Like what, what does this mean? And mm -hmm. so I, you know, finished that session and had his homework a podcast to listen to, a movie to watch. There was kind of fun homework, um, but just kind of a, a deeper dive into what is this term? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for the way I might need to make changes in my life mm. to live my life uh, with more ease and more quality? And I read what I needed to read, watched what I needed to watch, and it resonated so much for me. And I think that's part of the reason that we have this podcast is um, to be another voice that's talking about uh, what it means, um, how we're thriving, mm -hmm. how we're also sometimes struggling. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm looking forward to talking about all of that today. <laughs> yes, perfect. And so am I, Anna. There's so many things that you said that I'm joining you in that. <laughs> and, um, you know, as we're answering these questions, I come to think about how 
complex and layered the topic and trait of sensitivity is because it is actually, in fact, a, sensi uh, a personality trait you talk about. Is it diagnosis? We'll, we'll just explain all of this in a little bit. Um, and we talk about the beauty. You spoke also about the challenges in this introduction and who we are is inextricably embedded into our experiences of sensitivity and that trait. So, and I'm wondering if you would be willing to share with us a little bit about how you identify and whatever that means to you, to you right now and whatever you feel comfortable sharing with us. Absolutely. Sure. So, um, I think to have a sort of an image in mind, putting a, an image to the voice that we have today, I'm, uh, I'm a, a cisgendered woman. I am, um, uh, of mixed heritage. I'm uh, part of an, both an ethnic and religious minority, um, but I'm born in Canada. I do identify as Canadian. I'm very proud to be Canadian and very, that's funny, I was journaling this morning and one of the things I journaled about was a little gratitude entry mm. and something I wrote just maybe an hour ago was <laughs> that I was grateful for my sense of physical safety being in mm. Canada today with sort of the global context and different things that are going on. So I um, am also um, a twin and I'm very grateful for my family. I'm Ooh, part of it. Yeah, I'm part <laughs> of a really lovely, um, very loving family Um Growing up as a twin, I think, has been a really big part of my identity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I always think about sort of having somebody with whom to share um, mm. so many experiences and having that really be such a big part of my support system and my sense of self. I think about like holidays and birthdays, getting gifts. And those gifts were always, my parents have the saying or that we would get gifts that were the same, but different. <laughs> <laughs> so we would both get a sweater, but in a different color, um, or we would get, you know, a bracelet and mine had a little A on it and my sister would have her initial on it. So, um, I'm, I'm, I feel very privileged and very lucky in my identity and how I've lived my life so far. That's a little bit about me. And what about you, Agathe? What would you like to share about how you identify? Um, well, I'm just going to say thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. And I think there's so much um, of what you're sharing that I relate to and um, I will share that I'm also uh, a cisgender woman. I am white. Um, I identify as, I like to call it a middle culture child so or a person. And that for me means I'm both from France. Maybe you can hear it in the way that I speak. And I'm also Canadian. And for me, that has 
shaped also a lot of how I um, have navigated life and perceived the world around me and myself. Um, and I had a conversation with a friend not too long ago, and uh, we were discussing that topic of cultural identity and and we had a very interesting reflection. She was mentioning how our language often reflects that when we present being of multiple heritage, we often say we are half of one place and half of another. And in fact, that's that's kind of diminishing and, and minimizing what we are when in fact we are whole and we can be a whole of one place and the whole of another place. And it's not because it's a little different um, that it's lesser than. And I really appreciated that because it's true that language often shapes how we view ourselves, how we view others. And experiences are different when you are from different identities or different places. And of course, we could talk about so many of these identities. And you mentioned religion, you mentioned, uh, we didn't mention actually um, ability, there's so much that we could talk about. But um, we really wanted to touch on this topic, because it is relevant and important for us in the in the way that first we want you to get to know us a little bit better um, although you will have a lot of occasions too as we go through these episodes with you but also and importantly as we will come to explore in this podcast we do share commonalities in our identity Anna and i um, and one of these is the trait of being highly sensitive but this trait exists in interaction with the complexity and entirety of who we are as people and the lives that we have and continue to live. And we want to acknowledge the privileges that come with many of our highlighted identities. And we also want to honor the areas where we experience challenges or adversity and how our sensitivity has played a role in all of those. We also want to recognize and, and validate that Everyone will have a different experience of their sensitivity based on how they identify um, because it will majorly impact the way that they navigate life. And we also want to say that you may relate to us at some point and you may not because of that. And we always welcome you in this space and we hope that you do feel that and you feel validated as well. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. Very well said. Thank you. Thank you. A little bit about our why for the podcast today, for our season, and a little bit about our story now. We were first co-workers and we quickly became friends. Uh, we talked about our sensitivity. Yeah, we did. <laughs> yes, we did. So we also happen to um, live very close together. So mm -hmm. it just so happened that, I mean, we work in the same 
office or worked in the same office and then we would finish around the same time and then walk <laughs> in the same direction and so we would have conversations pretty much daily for yeah. several several months and this was around the time that um, I was really kind of discovering sensitivity and was reading and had all these homeworks to do mm-hmm. and um, I guess you I confided in you I think uh, because of our friendship because of your expertise mm-hmm. uh, because I knew you had this expertise and then realized that you were also highly sensitive and then a beautiful beautiful conversation and friendship was born from there friendship. yay yeah <laughs> I think we you know we understood each other um I think we felt heard by each other and um, we have a lot of things in common that we liked. That's sort of what started this all. And I think over time we discussed these topics so often and we loved our conversations and we wanted to share the kind of conversations that we were having through a project like the podcast. And part of the reason was that we felt we also would have and could benefit from kind of normalizing conversations about this topic when we were younger and we wanted to feel like we could contribute to that movement and call people into our conversation and share with others these topics that are so i think important and close to our hearts Mm -hmm. yeah exactly it would have changed my life if i had heard something like that out when I was in my teenage years, I really, it would have. So the reason like, I'm actually going to talk to you about who this podcast is for. So maybe you are a teen who would benefit from hearing this and, and hear nothing is wrong with you, really. And a lot of um, the books that we read, the articles that we read will say that. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll have some of that exploration as to why a lot of the topics around or the conversations around sensitivity relate to negative feelings and feeling weak or feeling that something is inherently wrong with us. And that's because of a whole framework around the meaning we have associated with being sensitive. So... Who is this podcast for? So, of course, if you are highly sensitive and you know that you are, uh, we're so happy that you're here. You're obviously more than welcome. And we hope that you feel validated, nurtured, lifted, and celebrated as is our goal goal with each other, with Anna and I. And this podcast is also designed for those who are a relative of a highly sensitive person, a partner to a highly sensitive person, a friend or a coworker of a highly sensitive person. And we hope that you find this podcast insightful, interesting, and intuitive to help you better understand and support these HSPs for short in your life. The podcast is also for those who are completely unfamiliar with high sensitivity and 
sensitivity itself. But as it happens, sensitivity is a personality trait that exists on the spectrum and we all place somewhere on there. So technically you're, you are sensitive in some way if you're listening to this. Um, and we can all benefit from learning about sensitivity and how to honor and care for it to become, to become better and more attuned humans. Yeah, we know something about you if you're listening, that you're interested in this topic and that makes you part of our little community. So welcome to everyone. Come sit with us. Come sit with us. <laughs> <laughs> and a little bit about what to expect in terms of topics um, and in terms of what our discussions will be about. The term HSP or highly sensitive person in the research is still relatively new, although it's believed to have been researched for a long time, just under different names or terms. And so for that reason, it's still relatively mixed, um, but we thought it would be most pertinent to bring to light some of that research throughout our episodes and to accompany that research with both of our personal and also professional experiences. So you'll be hearing a mix and a nice blend of all of those. And in terms of uh, tone, um, as we said in the beginning of the podcast, the goal is to celebrate sensitivity, but we will also be speaking about the challenges that come with being highly sensitive. So clarity, hope, relief, education, empowerment, and of course, hopefully a bit of humor is on the menu for you. Mm. Okay, Anna, are we ready for some defining terms? Oh, yes, we are. Okay, this is the meat of the potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> So the term highly sensitive person, which we will uh, say HSP for short a, a lot of the time on the, on the podcast, was first coined by Dr. Elaine Aaron um, around the, the mid-1990s. It's also called sensory processing sensitivity. Um, as we will see, many of the features of the trait are linked to the senses and the heightened awareness to processing subtleties. Like we said, sensitivity exists on a spectrum. We have high sensitivity, which is where highly sensitive people place, which is believed to be between 15 up to 30% of the population, which is a lot. It's a personality trait. It is too high of a percentage to be considered a disadvantage or a disorder. In order to help us define the characteristics of being highly sensitive, we have this handy dandy acronym, <laughs> DOES, D-O-E-S. The D here, we start strong with depth of processing. Depth of processing is the foundational trait. And really what this is, is processing information around us and processing it deeply. And processing information is something that every person can relate to. You can imagine that if you were given a number to remember, like a phone number, we will try and find a way to remember it. 
and we might try and notice some patterns in the number. We might try to ascribe some meaning to each number or clusters of number. We might visualize the number or repeat it over in our head. And this is really what processing is. Without processing, the number would just be forgotten. Mm-hmm. And HSBs tend to have this kind of greater depth of processing than average on the spectrum. They will notice, relate, and ascribe meaning to aspects of their environment and the senses, to past experiences and emotions and other similar things. And that processing quite literally takes time and it takes brain energy and waves. And we can see that on brain imaging studies. And that means that there is what uh, Dr. Elaine Aaron calls this pause and check reflex. And so this really is the act of taking in a great amount of information, kind of like pausing during the processing, checking before making a decision or acting on what to do next. Mm. The O of our handy dandy acronym is overstimulated (laughs) or easily overstimulated. And this is exactly what it sounds like, right? So if we imagine someone who is noticing and processing information throughout the day, ascribing meaning, having emotional reactions to it, it seems only natural that we're more likely to or more quickly feel overwhelmed, overstimulated, or just worn out faster. This is actually the only sort of quote-unquote negative aspect of the trait because really what we're looking at is the neurotransmitters in the brain and the body get worn out more, more quickly. To someone who is around the HSP or in relationship with the HSP, that might be sort of what you first notice um, or see sort of on the outside the most easily. But it's important to remember that being easily overstimulated is not a central aspect of the trait. Being an HSP isn't about being overstimulated, but rather being more prone to overstimulation is the result of this greater depth of processing. So that first Mm -hmm. characteristic. I'll also add here that um, being overstimulated or overwhelmed is something that can be quite universal. So everyone can feel this. Um, And many people can complain at one time or another of sensory overload or feeling overwhelmed. What distinguishes the HSP is really that this depth of processing at the level of the nervous system is the precursor. Our E stands for emotional responsiveness and empathy. And emotional responsiveness really means that the HSP will react more strongly to both positive and negative stimuli or experiences. And there's actually brain imaging studies that show um, sort of HSPs or sort of lower sensitive sensitive um, individuals, they're shown faces displaying strong emotions, and then we scan their brain. Um, and HSPs tend to display 
and react to these emotions um, more on average. They will notice even the subtle changes in body language or facial expressions of others and again, ascribe meaning and process those more deeply. Being in tune with others' emotion um, actually helps HSPs to be more empathetic because they feel those emotions as well. And uh, the link here, I think, is uh, sort of easy to imagine between depth and processing and emotion. And finally, last but not least, we have the S, which represents a sensitivity to subtle stimuli. And I'll draw a parallel here. So just like overstimulation is the trait that others notice about the HSP, sensitivity to stimuli is often what the HSP notices in themselves. So that means the HSP will often notice that they feel or see um, or smell or hear things that others are not either noticing or complaining about, um, that others might not might not be sort of as in tune with. Um, HSPs might be, for example, the first to say like, hey, like, do you guys hear that noise? Like, is something beeping? Or um, do you smell something? Or, oh, hey, you styled your hair differently today. That's really beautiful. Um, and it's not so much that the HSP is uh, sensing more. So not necessarily that they're nose smells more or that their eyes mm -hmm. are just seeing extra far, right? Um, many HSPs, for example, wear glasses. Um, but it's rather that once those um, senses pick up on these details, we actually see that the brain areas of HSPs are more active in response to those same stimuli. So for example, if an HSP says, do you smell that? Like is something burning? And everyone in the room starts trying to actively smell the burning, they'll also smell it too. Mm. Um, but the HSP has kind of noticed, noticed something was off and, and probably integrated if it's burning, probably integrated like, is this dangerous? Do we need to pay attention to this? Right? So sensitivity to, sensi ooh, sensitivity to subtle stimuli then is about sensing and ascribing a subtle meaning, connection, or pattern to the stimuli, hence why it is called sensory processing sensitivity. Mm. It makes so much more sense then when you're explaining all of this, Anna, why, why I was explaining to you why driving felt like such an intense activity. <laughs> right, right. Because of all these stimuli and having to process all this information that's coming through my vision and then understanding what I'm doing by operating a machine that's going faster than when I'm walking. So I have less time to process. And and usually my reaction, especially when I was starting to drive, my reaction was to hit the brake so that I could have more time to process. And I remember getting yelled at by my instructors, instructors being like, what are you doing? Just go. And I'm like, no, I need to, to think about what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. my goodness. And, you know, when you were describing sort of the the sense of responsibility around mm -hmm. like vulnerable pedestrians. And there was a lot of meaning and emotion that was involved in your driving experience from the way I understood how you mm -hmm. described it. 
Yeah, it's tricky because then like not moving fast enough can also be dangerous. It's it, it's so tricky, but it's so tricky. We're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> exactly. Um, some more things we wanted to add about sensitivity is that it is a trait that is culture dependent when it comes to being understood and accepted. So that's definitely something that's going to be embedded in in our conversation. In our Western culture, it's often mislabeled as shy or introverted. However, sensitivity is innate while shyness is learned. And then we'll have a bit more of an explanation for introversion. We'll see other intersections with other personality traits. However, like for any other person, some highly sensitive people might intersect in some of these traits, but it's not inherent to the HSP trait. We'll also see that many of the traits that are mislabeled for highly sensitive people or that highly sensitive people are called tend to have a historically negative connotation and be more undesired. That Some of those are shy, introverted, although that one has made strides in its reputation, inward, depressed, neurotic, weak, and feminine. And we have a lot to say about that. What I appreciate from Dr. Aaron's work and definition of highly sensitive people and something that you also um, highlighted for us, Anna, is that she's conscientious about explaining that this trait has advantages and challenges. Being highly sensitive can be a gift, just like any, but it can also be anything but positive to some people. And this is how she puts it. And we're certainly not saying that being highly sensitive is superior in any way. I know Anna really uh, said that as well. Not being a highly sensitive person does not mean that you don't display qualities that are associated with being sensitive, such as being understanding or being aware or having empathy. And something that's really interesting is to note that in an optimal state, Highly sensitive people might be more prone to picking up on nuances. However, when they're overwhelmed or over aroused, they might not be able to display qualities like empathy. Be whereas uh, someone who isn't a highly sensitive person but has a quality of empathy might be more apt to display it even in a chaotic or overwhelming environment. Mm -hmm. Very important, I think, and, and relevant. Thank you for, you know, describing describing that because absolutely it exists on a, a spectrum and HSPs when optimally stimulated will be a very different look than mm -hmm. an overstimulated HSP, just like mm -hmm. an overstimulated anyone, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, we have examples of, of that oh. happening between the two of us. So <laughs> yes, we, <do>. <laughs> we know. <laughs> Yeah, we can get frazzled. It happens. Yeah. Well, that kind of concludes our research-oriented segment for for this first introductory podcast, and we wanted to jump into our segment that is a bit more fun, a bit lighter, and every episode will have one of those, whether it's a short game, some rapid fire question, we want to keep it fun and light if we can, and also interactive um, if possible. 
And so this week we'll be doing a myth-busting game, and you can play with us bi-weekly by following us on our Instagram, which is at sensitiveshiftpod, and participating in the myth or truth game in our stories. And here on the podcast is where we'll give you the answers in a bit more details. So Anna, are you ready? Oh, I'm so ready. Yay. Okay, your myth or truth is highly sensitive people are high maintenance. Mm-hmm. Yes, we can see where this could we could see where this comes from and where we could fall into <laughs> this trap. The answer is that this is a myth. HSPs, it's a trap. (laughs) Don't fall into the trap. (laughs) HSPs do not equal high maintenance. They are, these terms can sometimes be used interchangeably, unfortunately, but they're not interchangeable. They mean different things. So the term high maintenance really refers to someone who requires a lot of um, resources, so attention or time or effort in order to maintain their happiness or well-being. That's different than being a highly sensitive person because a highly sensitive person we just described is someone who is really aware of their surroundings, emotions, and other people's feelings more than the average person. So absolutely, it's possible for HSPs to be high maintenance, just like it's possible for people who are not HSPs to be high maintenance. And uh, I hope that that helped to clarify the difference. Yes. And also, we just want to say that if you need things, you can need them. It's okay. Oh, yes. Neither <laughs> of those terms are... Yeah, nothing um, is inherently bad for us. No, it's no. just what it is. We're just defining them so that we know the difference and we don't get confused. Yeah. yeah. To you now for our second myth or it. truth. <laughs> <laughs> is it true or false that HSPs cannot thrive with busy lives. Well, I can see as well where this would come from, that thought, but it's also a trap. So it's also a myth. Um, People might think that a busy life would equal poor performance or poor quality of life when it comes to a highly sensitive people because it comes from the idea that highly sensitive people are more easily overwhelmed or overstimulated. But it's not really about the quantity or quality of the work. It's more about needing an optimal level of stimulation. And that will be different for anyone or everyone. And it's the same thing for highly sensitive people. In that case, it's more about how are we going to take care of our busy life? So you can have a full calendar as long as the highly sensitive person knows how to care for their sensitivity. So that might mean more time, more downtime, more time on their own, and more time to recharge the way that feels nourishing to their sensitivity particularly. But the busy life can also be a busy, fulfilling life. It just depends on what everyone wants. 100%. I can definitely Mm -hmm. relate to that. I think our listeners might relate to that too. (laughs) A reminder that you can join us for games and to learn more on our Instagram at sensitiveshiftpod. 
And at the end here, we like to do, and uh, we will like to do an HSP minute where we will close with a moment to share a discovery or an intention for the week to care for our highly sensitive person in the spirit yes. of having a busy life. In the spirit, exactly. <laughs> Agathe, would you like to go first? How did you or will you nurture your sensitivity this week? Well, I just bought a few, a week ago or a couple weeks ago, a new book on <laughs> surprise sensitivity. We're so, shocked. <laughs> we're shocked. Um, so I'm going to be reading that and uh, continue to take notes, take care, feel validated, feel nourished by the fact that other people care about that topic are mm. here to continue dismantling the meaning that we have associated with being sensitive in our world today and continue to do some of this work myself so Beautiful. a book and the book is called sensitive by uh, jen grandman i'm not sure i'm pronouncing her name correctly and André Solo. So if you're interested, it's a, it's a great book so far. Well, I, I'm sure that some of those themes will find their ways into our discussions. I hope they will. Yes, they sure will. Your opinions and reflections on what you learn and read about. Yeah. And Anna, what about you? How will you or how did you if you prefer to speak in the past nurture your sensitivity mm. i was looking forward to the hsp minute because i'm pretty Tell excited me. that i uh is it download or installed not one not two but three <gasps> new apps on my phone whoa uh, uh varying from two of them are primarily meditation apps and mm. one is uh, sort of like a journaling like an AI facilitated therapeutic journaling app oh. and I have used those all three of them for the last I want to say like three or four days and I'm absolutely loving it I'm having oh. so much fun discovering I don't know if I'll download more or pick the one from the three that I like the most, but it's been so fun exploring my own mind and reflecting. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep doing that. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. Um, we do want to end with a quick disclaimer that while we're discussing contents that are related to personal wellness, they do not constitute advice. We acknowledge that each experience is different. And if you're looking for specific support, we encourage you to consider professional support individualized to you. Next episode, which will come out in two weeks, hopefully we'll do a bi-weekly release. We'll be on the topic of growing up HSP and childhood and sensitivity. It's going to be a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye.